Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light podcast. My name's Bo. My name's Peter. And we're here to talk to you guys today about um, uh, actually answering a question that is, um, you know, if my husband or my wife views pornography, can I divorce that person? Is is it a biblical merit for divorce? Um, so we're going to try to tackle that big question, you know. Um, yeah. How do you? Th- <laughs> what do you think, Peter? I mean, obviously, this is a huge issue. I, I don't know the exact stats. I think you got them in front of you, but uh, there's definitely a huge uptick on the amount of divorces that are happening today as a result of pornography or, or, or porn uh, viewing by the, the spouse. Uh, yeah, it says um, in um, Dr. Jill Manning from the United States Senate's 2004 report, um, she found that 56, 56% of divorce uh, cases involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. And that's 2004, so that's, man, that's a while ago. And then it says another source, the American Ac- uh, uh, Academy of Matrimony Lawyers, and this is a popular one that you'll see online if you search for this stuff, polled 350 divorce attorneys in 2003 where two-thirds of them reported that the Internet played a significant role in the divorces with excessive interest in online porn contributing to more than half such cases. Obviously, that's a lot. I mean, if you look at, I think, uh, if you look at the one million divorces that happen roughly in the United States, that would mean, um, you know, kind of half, 500,000 of them, you know, would be failing due to some kind of pornography in it. But it kind of, it kind of, you know, I mean, we look at that and we kind of go, wow, that sounds so hardcore, you know, but, but we have to keep in mind something, kind of put it into, into just a general understanding. And that is the world we live in today is a physical world and there's a virtual world, Mm. you know? And so when people are, you know, you have Christian dating sites. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you have literally Christian online dating sites where people in the millions sign up to find a partner, a lifelong partner online. Hmm. Um, so this is the means or one of the means, probably a major means of how we find relationships today. Um, in so many ways, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's not just the Christian culture, but it's 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 every uh, worldview that you have, Christian or atheistic, whatever. Um, uh, you know, the Internet truly is a place, a, a world that we live in um, in all ways. So for sex, for uh, relational dependency, feeling emotionally secure. Um, you know, that type of stuff. Um, this is where we go to. Hmm. So, so it may, I mean, it sounds, it sounds radical, the stats, you know, but then again, it's just the world we live in today, I think, uh, is really, uh, why it's that way. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think if you go back in history, it's like, I mean, how many divorces back in history would have been caused by sexual immorality if, any kind, you know, um, a or lot. even, yeah, a lot, right. <laughs> or even, even not even sexual morality, but just uh, a failing sexual life between a husband and a wife. You know, I'm, I'm sure that you go to any culture, any society, I think that that would play a big kind of uptick in, in the divorce thing. And I, and I think, um, when we're thinking about it as Christians, I think the major verse that I hear brought up to me, and I'm sure you do as well, Bo, that I think we should touch, mm-hmm. uh, is Matthew 19, where Jesus is speaking about divorce, and he says in verse 8, he said, Moses, because the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And so the the word sexual morality in verse 9 is the Greek word porneia, uh, which we've talked about before. 
And so a lot of people, when they read this verse, they'll say, okay, well, he, he says that if someone is involved in porneia, which is the root word for pornography, then I have grounds for divorce, biblical grounds for divorce. And I think that in a way, if you take that that reading of this text, I believe you're trivializing it to a high amount. Uh, because certainly when Jesus uses the word sexual morality, he doesn't mean pornography because it didn't exist in his day. Um, the word porneia was a word that referred to a distortion of God's plan and purpose for sex. And more specifically, it referred to a Leviticus chapter 19. Um, that would be someone having sex, uh, incestuous type sexual relationships or bestiality types relationships or uh, a pedophile type relationships. That, that's what Leviticus 19 refers to. So Jesus says if, if someone engages in something like that or adultery, then you have grounds for divorce. But he's uh, certainly, uh, again, I think we do trivialize it a lot when we say that this verse is specifically talking about porn uh, usage. Uh, what do you think about that, Bo? Well, I mean, I, I also, um, I tend to agree with that. I'm, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Matthew 19 and 9, and we can call it the escape clause, you know, um, of this passage, um, that whoever divorces his wife except, comma, except for sexual immorality, is that, first of all, we note that it's not in Mark, it's not in Luke, it's just in Matthew's account. So Ma- so Matthew uh, seems fit to put it in um, his gospel account to his Jewish readers. Um, and and there is, there is a lot, uh, there is views on that. I'm not going to get into that now, but for, for our listeners, certainly you want to look up those things and maybe do some research on, especially like John Piper's view of Matthew and the escape clause, Pastor John Piper out of Minnesota. He definitely has done more um, articles on that kind of um, research on this section. Because uh, there are different views of why Matthew includes this and Mark and Luke doesn't. But to view this as pornography as today um, definitely is a little bit of a push um, from, obviously, Leviticus 19. Because when you go down to Leviticus 19, and I suggest everybody know this passage. I mean, it is a great passage. I mean, this section of Leviticus is really, really fascinating. I mean, a lot of people don't like the book of Leviticus, but if they really get into this whole idea of Leviticus 18, the laws on sexual immorality, um, 19 and 20, um, they're really going to get some good, man, some really wow material to read. This is definitely not stuff you're going to read to your five-year-old, you know. (laughs) But, I mean, it talks about, you know, the whole point of this is do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. So the idea of the sexual immorality that's seen in the Levitical laws that Jesus is referring to when he's using the term porneia that was very familiar to the people of the Jews of his day, um, they would understand that it's not to defile themselves in this way. And pornography is not one of those ones that's specifically, you know, mentioned in this section. It doesn't say like sit down if someone's, you know, sitting down and masturbating to, you know, something, um, a lustful thought, then that's, you know, don't defile yourself. It doesn't say that in the Levitical law. Right. You know, and I think that is an important thing to understand if we want to properly understand the words of Jesus when he speaks in Matthew 19, verse 9. Um, because even with the uh, the uh, as people call it the, the the sexual morality clause in Matthew 19, the purpose of Matthew 19 was certainly not for Jesus to trivialize marriage or to say, hey, like there is a way out. Don't worry. Uh, yeah. You're 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 talking. It's people talking to God incarnate, and God can't compromise. God is not going to look at the. Uh, the unity that he created and trivialize it and say, hey, don't worry, there's ways out if you really don't like it. Um, and in fact, he rebukes the Pharisees for thinking that way. And that's why he says, Moses, for the hardness of your hearts, put that in there. 
but God didn't actually intend that or want that. And we could actually know just how hardcore Jesus was being in this section by the response of his disciples. This isn't the response of like some uh, licentious weirdos running around. These are the, the thoughts of the actual disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is what they say in verse 10. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. So by their response to what Jesus is saying, you could tell that he was laying down some hardcore, strict doctrine uh, about the sanctity of marriage and the the design of marriage and its eternality uh, before our just and holy God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think too it kind of brings up another question, and that is, you know, um, is pornography adultery? You know, because in this section, you know, are it. it is it sexual? Is it the sexual immorality specifically that Jesus is talking about? Well, if he's referring to Leviticus 18 through 20, you know, we see it's that it doesn't mention pornography in what we know today as pornography and sitting down and self-gratifying to it or watching it or viewing it like that. It doesn't even mention masturbation or any type of voyeurism mm-hmm. or nothing. It, it mentions physical actions of mm-hmm. sexuality. Yeah. So, like, you know, you know... You know, when, you know, there, there's always the thought of Jesus saying, the, you know, ask, saying, hey, if a woman is lusted after in her heart, in your heart, if you lust after her, then you've committed adultery. And, and some people will look at that and say, hey, well, there it is. You know, my husband, my wife has looked at pornography. They've lusted after that person or that thing. What, what do, you, do you see anything wrong with that kind of way of looking at it? Well, I mean, if I were to apply that logic, then I guess I should you know, give the death penalty to anyone who's called someone a moron, you know, because that's what it says in, in Matthew 5 as well, that if you look at your brother and call him Raka, which is just another word for fool, uh, he says you've committed murder uh, in your heart. Um, certainly the, the purpose of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount should not be, once again, uh, trivialized or, or pushed aside. The purpose of, of Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount is that everybody deserves death before a just and holy God. Mm. That's what Romans 3 says. It says that the law was given so that all mouths may be stopped and the world become guilty before God. So the law is certainly not there and Jesus is not here to make us feel good about ourselves and our own righteous acts. Uh, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount um, was to point us to our need for Jesus. That's why he begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because if you're poor in spirit, if you recognize your need for Christ, then you will turn to him, submit to him, and find his righteousness as opposed to your own. So I, I wouldn't see using uh, Matthew 5 as, as validation for um, my spouse has committed adultery because they've lusted after someone in their mind. Well, are you honestly going to tell me that you've never done that? Yeah. You know, you, well, that's a, that always me? begs that question. Right, right. I mean, who, who among us can honestly say that I've never actually... And, and to lust doesn't necessarily mean that you're just undressing someone with your mind. Yeah. Have you ever pictured yourself with someone else? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you go. I go into the bookstore today and I see hundreds of romance novels which I know when women are reading them, they're thinking about, I wish that my husband was more like this. I wish our relationship looked more like this. Yeah, there's well, some kind of fantasy in their brain about it. There's a fantasy, it. and it might be, it might not be a sexual fantasy. It might not be, it, it probably is, in my, in my mind. I mean, some of those books are pretty mm-hmm. erotic mm-hmm. in nature. Yeah. But, um, I mean, maybe maybe it's not. But even if it isn't erotic in nature, your, your fantasies about another man or, or uh, vice versa, it's still lust. It's still a covetous desire for someone else that isn't your spouse. And that's that's the whole point. Yeah. So it would be hard to read that into Matthew 19 um, verses 8 because then you say, okay, well, yeah, my, my spouse has committed sexual immorality. He's lusted after another person. Well, that can easily go on the other shoe. Or, again, if you've been angry with someone, you committed murder, you know, therefore, you're pretty much dead, and your partner can go marry someone else anyway. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Right, right, and that and that's another thing. I uh, if you want to talk about that really quickly about the again the seriousness of what Jesus is saying, because in the law, the punishment for violating Leviticus 18 is death. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you could remarry mm-hmm. if if your if your spouse is dead if they're stoned to death for having committed sexual immorality yeah um so i mean that's essentially if you if you want to take it to hardcore law version of what jesus is saying then what he's essentially saying is there there really isn't 
um, any any type of an escape in that way. Right. Uh, because it's again, death. It's death. That's death right. is the is the way out of your marital bond. Yeah, and just to help anybody through this, what we're talking about is that when Jesus says in Matthew nineteen nine, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, that's a really interesting concept. And the reason why we're saying that is because in the Old Testament, which Jesus knew and is the Bible that Jesus had and read, the punishment for a, a sexual immorality actually was death. It actually was death. There was no divorce for sexual immorality. There would just be a death. In So if a person slept with a, another woman that wasn't his wife, he would be put to death. If a husband slept with a daughter, he would be put to death. If a, 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 a son slept with his mom, he would be put to death. If there was incestual relationship within that marriage, they would be put to death. If there was bestiality, they would be put to death. If there was homosexuality, they would be put to death. So there was, there was, those laws are just like a brief description of what sexual immorality would have meant to the Jewish person because they were reading the Old Testament. So, so for Jesus to say divorce, you know, is really, in, in a sense, it's kind of an oddity. Because, I mean, he could have easily said, hey, you know what? If you commit sexual immorality, you're to be put to death, mm. you know? And, and, and so some people have argued, you know, I think of like John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur out of California. He has argued in his uh, old book, uh, Marriage and Divorce, is that, that actually divorce, in a sense, replaces the death penalty of the Old Testament. It's kind of a work of grace under the new covenant, mm. of um, which makes some sense to me. You know, instead of someone dying, because sometimes like a wife would be hurt. Like we're just going to use the the status of a, a husband, you know, sinning and watching porn, and a wife being innocent of that. But you know, a wife would be bummed. Like you know, oh my gosh, you know, he's he's committed this act. You know. Um, you know, and first of all, she 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 automatically lumps it into the sense of adultery of like a physical adultery. And you always have to explain it. If it was physical adultery, he actually, you know, according to the Old Testament, the dude would be dead. And, you know, and you have an option of divorcing him mm. or staying in the marriage, you know, um, you know. So is it is there is there any good grounds that a person has if for divorce, if someone is viewing pornography, uh, I would say if you're reading the the words of Jesus alone, I would say no. Um, but to to swing the pendulum kind of the other way, because I think it's good to do that sometimes. Um, yeah. Because most certainly, uh, again, me and Bo, who are are people who struggle in this area, we certainly understand the seriousness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like um, it's because, oh, well, I struggle with it, so I don't see it as a big deal. I see it as a very big deal mm-hmm. in my life. I saw it as a big enough deal um, to at various times question my salvation and to, to just be wrecked uh, before God about this sin, most certainly. And uh, I do also understand um, to an extent just how unbelievably destructive that would be to the heart of my wife if she caught me um, viewing pornography. And uh, there's, a, there's a great talk by this woman named Esther Perel where she talks about why the viewing of pornography today um, is actually almost in a way a bigger blow to the wife than committing adultery was back in the 50s. And she, she said the reason is is because if your wife sees the things that you're looking at, uh, if, you, if you're viewing pornography, she pulls up the pages. She gets to see every woman that you're reviewing. She gets to see all the sex acts. And now it's not her imagination running wild anymore. It's actual visual confirmation of what she suspects. Yeah. Whereas back in the 50s, it would have been, I mean, unless she walked in on you, which is really, really rare, it would have been, you know, she you know, sees lipstick on the collar or, you know, she, someone tells her that some woman was walking out of her house or or something like that. It would be, it would be much more that she wouldn't actually know or have seen. She just kind of has to, to visualize it. And especially because in our culture, which is I think it's a good thing, but in our culture, we marry for love. 
So that means that in my relationship with my wife, because I, I married her out of love, it means that there's so much of my value, just unconsciously, without me thinking about it, so much of my value is rooted in the way that she sees me and cares for me. Right? I would like to believe that in her eyes I am the best. You know, I'd like to believe that, and I get so much of my value from that. And so because of that, any amount of lust that goes inside of her heart is going to naturally, it's going to wreck me because it's almost like an attack on my very identity that I feel like, man, I'm so worthless that not even my wife finds me attractive. You know, she finds this type of person attractive. And this is obviously what, what would go on inside of the mind of any wife who would catch their husband of like, oh, my gosh, like, yeah. you know, he's looking at these things. Is he even into me anymore? Like, is he is he into our sex life? You know, does he care? You know, when we're having intimacy. What's he thinking about? Is he thinking about me or is he thinking about this woman? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously, again, the Bible does not. Um, try to push that aside and say, like, oh, well, it's not a big deal. It certainly is, and uh, uh, that that is a problem. But we, we have to understand the biblical reason for divorce. Why is divorce in the Bible at all? Um, and, and we can get some clues to it. Um, I think when we go to, let's say, the book of Hosea or Jeremiah, I'm, I'm going to go to Hosea because it's a little more clear, mm-hmm. um, but you get a little bit of a clue about the nature of divorce when you read how God views divorce, because a lot of people don't know this, but God actually did divorce his wife, Israel, uh, back in the Old Testament. And that was the reason why there needed to be a new covenant. The first covenant was broken by Israel and it resulted in a divorce. And that's why a new covenant had to be signed between him and his people, which was through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But in Hosea chapter 2, it's so important to to hear these words uh, when we're thinking about this nature of divorce. Hosea chapter 2, listen to what God says to his people. This is verse 2. He says, Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from my, from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Okay, and then he goes on to talk about this divorce. But, I mean, the the words in, in, ver, in verse 2 are so clear. Mm-hmm. She is not my wife. I am not her husband. That's that's very clear. And, mm-hmm. and I think Jeremiah makes it even more clear. Yeah, you know, he does. Uh, most certainly when it's talking about the seriousness of this. But God gives specific reasons for why he's divorcing his people. And he talks about her harlotries. He talks about her committing adultery on him. And uh, it's so important to hear these verses. Listen to this. This is verse um, 12 of the same chapter. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I'll make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the Baals to which um, to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, says the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will lure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor is a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be, that she says, uh, says the Lord, that she will call me my husband and no longer my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. So, th- I mean, it's so important to hear what God is saying here. His reason for divorcing his wife is not, you suck, I'm done with you. His actual reason, and this is crazy, the reason for his divorce was a hope of remarriage. Mm-hmm. So it was actually, it was actually, I'm divorcing you because you're not getting the fact that you're sinning and you're and you're wrecking your life. And unless I do something radical, you'll never repent, right? And that's the whole message of the prophets. Yeah, you know, where God is saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to see my my city burned and my people killed. But he says, but I realize that if I don't do this, you'll never stop. Just like a parent. You don't want to spank your kid if you're a good parent, right? You yeah. don't want to, but you realize if I don't, nothing's going to get through his head to understand how this is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, so God uses this as, as a means. And for all the, the women that I hear talking about this, this uh, principle of divorce, I don't hear the words of God coming out of their mouth. 
Mm-hmm. I don't hear them saying, hey, you know what? I love my husband so much. And he is in this unrepentant sin. He's in this sin that is wrecking his life. And yeah, it hurts me. Yeah, it affects me. But what's really important is my walk with God and his walk with God. And so I'm going to divorce him. I'm going to separate from him because I really want to focus on God. And I want him to have that space to, to understand just the wickedness of his sin so that he'll repent. And that's my hope. You know, usually, um, and I, I hate to say this, but usually even in the church, when a divorce happens, it's because there's already someone else in the picture. There's already some other guy or girl that's in the picture and that the divorce enables their relationship to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I know I don't want to get too off topic, but divorce is our topic. <laughs> but, you know, I think a lot of times what, what sometimes we think of divorce is like uh, a man, you know, it commits adultery and then the wife divorces him. And, and really what I see, I see something a little different in the Bible. I see like in, in Jeremiah where is kind of, um, another, uh, instance through the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet that God, Yahweh says that he is going to, uh, hand Judah, um, a certificate of divorce. It says it this way in, in 3 8. Then I saw for all the causes of which backsliding Israel had committed adultery that I put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. So what 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 is being said is 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 this is that Israel, the northern tribes of of the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, committed spiritual adultery. They worshipped other gods. And for that, they, it, 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 the, the analogy is used of a woman going into other men, leaving her husband and going into other men, breaking the marriage covenant. And so what God does is he gives her a certificate of divorce. And so what God says is, you know what, here's your certificate of divorce, meaning, meaning you and your, by your actions have divorced me. You have left me. You're the, you, you've done the violence by breaking the covenant. And what I do is I just acknowledge the, the breaking of the covenant by giving, by issuing the certificate of divorce. Mm-hmm. Where I think today a lot of people in the marriage, there's such a fear of divorce, you know, where, um, you know, a, a wife today goes, well, I don't want to divorce my husband, though he's been cheating on me for, 10 years. You know what I mean? I don't want to divorce him when, when really he's already divorced you in many ways. Right. I don't think sometimes a wife understands that is that he's already done the treacherous act of the violent act of breaking the covenant right. of a physical adulterous affair or whatever it's been. And that really what, what, what her going down to the court would do is basically just issue a certificate of divorce saying, you know what? I, I divorce you, she would say I divorce you, but really it's just an acknowledgement of already where he is at, yeah. you know. And I and I see God doing that with Israel and then he says yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear but went about and played the harlot also. So the warning that that's going to happen also to the to the uh the the southern two tribes of Israel as well. You know, it's interesting that God divorces Israel for their spiritual adultery. And yet God repetitively in the scriptures says he's going to bring them back and he's going to woo them again. And it's like a prophetic word. You know, we see in the book of Revelation, there's going to be a a tremendous persecution on the Jewish people and they're going to have to flee the area once again and they're going to hide in the valleys and stuff like that. And then God says he's going to meet them in the wilderness once again and he's going to draw them and um, and speak words of comfort to them just as he did in the wilderness. And you you see there's a there's that future prophetic plan with God, with his people, Israel, with Yahweh and Israel. That's that's set up that way now. Just so we understand, though, when Jesus is quoting um, from a certain passage in Matthew 18 uh, or Matthew 19, when he says uh, in Deuteronomy, it says, you know, uh, it talks about this issue of how a person can divorce someone. 
um, it's kind of vague. It says when a man takes a wife in verse 24 of Deuteronomy and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanliness in her. And that's really what Jesus is is kind of answering to the the religious leaders of his day is what does that uncleanliness mean? You know, what is it? Is it is it is it sexual? Is it is it you know burning the eggs? Is it you know what is it? Because um, it doesn't say in Deuteronomy. Now Jesus interprets it by saying, you know, there's no divorce except for sexual immorality, except for the the idea of porneia, the idea of this Leviticus, you know, eighteen through twenty. Um, kind of area, you know, which is very specific of the sexual acts, which pornography is not one of them in there. You know, it doesn't mention that specifically. Um, but it says what's interesting about Deuteronomy 24 is it says if you find some uncleanliness in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. OK, so now they're divorced. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as a wife, then the former husband who divorces her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. You shall not sin in the land to which your Lord God is giving you as an inheritance. A couple interesting things we just have to really understand about this passage. And that is, first of all, it couldn't have been adultery in Deuteronomy 24. Because if it was, then she wouldn't have got a certificate of divorce. Right. Right? She would have just been put to death. The other idea, too, is that is that that she could not go back to the first husband. And and the reason I, I assume why is because the law predominantly is there to restrict abuse. That's why the law is given. It's to it's to harness the sinful nature that is evil. And so just like in our day, that's why we have laws, because it's to harness sinful nature. If we don't have laws, we have anarchy. And that's probably not the best <laughs> that, uh, you know what I mean? So we have a civilized society. And so the law is given to govern the people. And and so the sinful inclination of man was to use and abuse a woman. And so a woman could just go back to the man. A man could just take her again and just abuse her again and let her leave again and divorce her again. And this could be repeated over and over and over. So there seems to be a law in my mind where she's not allowed to go back to the first husband, or the husband can't marry her again. So he can't go, oh, well, you know, I kind of biffed it. I know she's been with another man, but, you know, she was pretty good, you know. The eggs weren't burnt that bad, you know, kind of thing, and then and then get back with her, you know. So to me, that the reason why it's that way in Deuteronomy is that there's, uh, there's an abuse that... Uh, a pro- prohibita- uh, prohibiting the abuse, the further abuse of a woman, mm. you know, in that passage. So, but Jesus makes it clear that, you know, when when the Pharisees bring up Deuteronomy 24, you know, Jesus makes it clear that that adultery is really the only reason why divorce should take place. Now, let me chime in with this idea of pornography and divorce. I do see Ezekiel 23 as pornographic in some ways. You know, there there's wall there's things on the wall, there's sexual images on the wall, there's men on the wall. Now, it doesn't say they're they're self-gratifying to them, but what it de- certainly has done is it stirs up lust in in the heart of Israel to see these these valiant men as they're called these these kind of riders of horses you know these army men and they they have a, a lust for them and then the analogy goes in Ezekiel 23 that they're like a woman that sees these men on a wall and 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 they want them and it's really Israel wanting to be like Babylon or wanting to be like Assyria 
Um, and, and that's really what it is. That's the analogy. It's really the Israel wanting to be like these other nations instead of being under God's rule. They want to be under another God's rule, another kingdom's rule. They want to be like the other kingdoms. But I see, I see that a picture of pornography in the sense that there's things that are uh, alluded to in that section of scripture where there's like a, a lustfulness for, for something. You know, but again, it's allegorical, so it's hard to say that it's, you know, that's pornography because it's allegorical, you know, in nature. Right. Um, but l- let, me, let me say this. If someone, if a husband or a wife continues to view pornography in a, in a Christian marriage, and they don't have any whims about it, man. They're just like, you know, I'm going to do it no matter what. You know what I mean? And um, and I know Christ, but I'm going to do it no matter what. And, you know, this is my thing and whatever, and I don't care what you think. I mean, I, I'd, I'd have to first question the dude's salvation <laughs> yeah, in a major way and go, does that person really know Christ? You know? Um, because, you know, I mean, that, that, that comes, that has to come to a big point, right? Does the person really know Jesus? You know, if, I mean, if you know Jesus, it's not that you're not going to struggle with pornography. It's everywhere. We live in a culture that's filled with it. So it's like, we're constantly going to be seeing images and working on those images and dealing with images in our minds or things like that. Most of us have grew up touching ourselves. So we're going to constantly work on that too, Mm -hmm. you know? But it's the idea of if someone's just saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but honey, but, you know, this is just my thing. Um, first, I would question that. You know, I would wonder. And then, you know, if someone's not a Christian, you know, if your husband's not a Christian, then a passage like First Peter chapter 3 kind of comes up, right? Of like, you know, of like a wife dwelling with a husband who's not a believer and, you know, and trying to win that person over you know, to Christ. Um, can pornography be abusive to the point where divorce has to happen? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone could be, com- could be absolutely inundated in, in all kinds of incredible pornographic stuff. I mean, not just standard erotica material, but could be involved with kitty porn could be involved. That could very much be absolutely, detrimental to not just you as a wife but also to the kids Mm. and could put your kids in harm's way you know and molestation and issues like that that come up where if someone is just absolutely just taken over by this thing where um you know again they you know they're they're just they're not just viewing pornography but they're really living the life of pornography man they're spending money they're they're wanting to uh, live out these fantasies, they're, um, those type of things. Obviously, I could see where the last, where you have to be like God and just say, hey, you know, you, you divorced me a long time ago, brother. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like you left me a long time ago. For You know, you'd rather be with your images and your chat rooms and your, your um, you know, your, your massage parlors or wherever you go, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, so I, I do think there is definitely places where people can go in pornography that the only way you can love them probably properly is to say, Hey, uh, you know, okay. You know, and it's not that you're divorced. I I wouldn't say you're divorcing them. I would say that they divorced you probably a long time ago. Right. And that again, you're just giving them that certificate of divorce and saying later. Now with that said, because um, I'm sure people listening to this were probably waiting maybe for that point of view too. Yeah. Um, and I could see that. Um, uh, I could see. I could see that. You know, um, is um, the idea of do we know how to actually discuss though in most marriages sexual things and pornography? Mm-hmm. You know, so because most of our cases, are, you know, that we've worked with are not are not really extreme, extreme. You know, they're not the extremes, I would say, not even one extreme. You know, I would say a lot of them are, I struggle with pornography. You know, that's a lot of them. Right, and and just right there even, I mean, it's so important to distinguish those words because I know even when I, uh, and I, I know you too, Bo, when we talk to Christians and we say things like, I struggle with pornography, uh, the, the church really doesn't understand what that phrase means. They think that means that like, oh, I'm just like giving in. 
Right. I'm, no, I'm viewing it every day. Yeah, I'm viewing it every day and I just don't care. You know, the idea of struggling means I have an urge, but I fight it through the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God. You know, that's what it means to struggle. So, I mean, we're, we're bringing up the scenario of a husband who says to his wife, I struggle with porn. And we're not saying, again, it's not the, the first scenario that Bo gave where he's just inundated in it. And he's like, honey, I just don't care. This is yeah. my thing. You know, this is someone who's broken by it. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. I mean, it's a good point. And so, you know, I think of like, you know, do do we know as couples how to actually discuss the issue? You know, since it's such a huge industry today and such such a dominated um um it's dominated like the newsstands so you go to check out there's half naked men there's half naked women i mean it, we're just we're we're inundated with sexual images all the time um you know do we know how to discuss um porn you know in a marriage like, cause what if you, what if a husband goes to a wife and says, you know, honey, I, you know, let's talk about pornography. And she's like, no way, that's wrong. You know, I'm done. You know, like, no way, that's awful. I would never do that. That's ridiculous. You know, like our discussion last week when it came to children, you know, what does that do to the, to the husband or what does that do to the wife? If the wife says, Hey, I struggle with chat rooms. I struggle with Facebook. I, I get, I feel better when I, when I have this kind of, uh, relationship online when I'm, people are talking to me, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm, I'm pretty or I'm liked or, you know, that kind of thing. If you just shut it down and you just kind of get mad and just go, well, forget it. You know what I mean? I'm going to divorce you. You know, it's like, have we lost our ability to communicate within our culture, hmm. the culture realities? And it's like, you're going to go to another marriage and you're still going to have the culture to deal with. So it's not like it's going to go away. Um, you know, not every man and every woman struggles with sexual lust. Everybody struggles with something. Um, but I, I think that's kind of lost in our culture, just a lot, you know, with the issues of pornography, especially. We just don't know how to talk about it, yeah. you know. Yeah, and uh, especially in the church culture, um, because, you know, I, I definitely understand um, you know, obviously one of the reasons why God designed marriage, one of the, the purposes for it is so that, uh, is because the differences between the husband and the wife, meaning that the sins that I struggle with usually aren't the sins that my wife struggles with. She struggles with different things than I do. And so because of that, her sins stick out to me really clear and my sins stick out to her very clear. And the question is, have I learned through the spirit how to convict of sin through love and to discuss it and to know what uh where to point her or does she know where to point me meaning if, if it's just me and my wife we have no fellowship in a church we have no one to talk to and it's just me and her of course the, i mean all i'm going to be able to say to her is hey just stop mm. just stop doing that you know that makes me sad you know why do you keep doing it it makes me feel bad don't you know that don't you love me you know and it's just going to go in a cycle like that yeah you know but um, if you if you're not if you're not plugged in, you don't have anyone there. That's all you can say. But if you are plugged in, then my response should be like, you need to go tell someone. You need to go talk to someone about this. There's uh, don't you have brothers in Christ that you can go discuss these things with and fight this thing? Don't you have people that can lift you up and support you as you battle this thing before God? You know, uh, that would be the 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 best thing that you can do for someone is be like, man, this is how I fight. You know, uh, that's a beautiful thing that I'm, that me and my wife are able to do with one another is we're able to discuss, well, this is how I fight that. Yeah. And she's able to say to me, well, this is how I fight this sin. Yeah. And we're able to, to talk with one another so that neither one of us is getting up on this holier than thou kind of thing of like, well, I can't believe you struggle because I don't. You yeah. Know? And sexual, I think with sexual sin, especially the issues of pornography and watching sex is there's assumptions that are made that people in a marriage automatically assume. So they, like, for instance, there's an assumption that maybe the person's watching pornography because they think the spouse is ugly. So, and, and that's automatically 
thing. Oh, he, he views pornography just because he thinks I'm ugly, right? Where, where most of the men that I've worked with over the last nine years, that's not even close to the case. Meaning they totally think their wives are pretty and everything. And, and that's not it. It has nothing to do with them not having some. Now, sometimes it does. It will have to do with maybe a wife um, and a husband not being engaged sexually. Meaning, like, for instance, a question might be asked to a spouse like, hey, how long has it been since you've had intimacy with your your husband or wife who struggles with pornography? And you might say, well, it's been a year. You know, and then we might go, whoa, well, that's a long time to be married and not have any kind of intimacy with someone. And maybe maybe someone in that marriage is sexually active They They want to be sexually active with their wife and they can't. But so there's assumptions made sometimes that a person who's looking at pornography actually wants to do that with that person, too. And that's another assumption. And one of the most detrimental things that I've seen, um, I'm sure you as well, is that the the wife, when she thinks that way, the husband might respond and it sounds loving, but it's like the most destructive thing he can say. He, he could say something like this. Don't worry, honey. I won't view it anymore because you're enough for me. Yeah. You know, and, and that sounds really loving, but really what you've done is you've just shifted this huge burden on your spouse of right. saying, as long as you're pretty enough and as long as you're putting out enough, I will not view porn. Right. But the second, you know, you gain weight, the second you start getting wrinkles, the second, you know, your hair goes gray, your hair goes gray, you know, right. the second we stop having intimacy because maybe, hey, maybe you're going to get into an accident. Maybe I'm going to get into We can't have intimacy. I'm just going to go back to porn. Mm-hmm. Because that's 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 the way it is, you mm-hmm. know. So as long as you're good enough, we're good, mm-hmm. you know. And and the weight that gets shifted onto the spouse is a crushing blow. And so the question I would have for for a wife is that really what you want? Do you want to be the reason why your husband does not view pornography? Do you really want to be an idol in your husband's life, or do you want your husband to be so satisfied in Jesus that that's the reason he doesn't go to porn? That's right. That that he's like, man, you know what? I'm not going to go to porn, but it has everything to do with my relationship with Christ and my desire not to offend him, mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously he's called me to love you properly. And, and when I'm viewing pornography, I'm not doing that, mm-hmm. you know, so his, his whole reasoning changes to, I'm not going to do it because of God, a genuine conviction of the spirit, yeah. right? which is the only thing that actually change him. Yeah, that's so true. You know, there's so many things to talk about with this issue of divorce and pornography. I mean, there's so many different scenarios. There's so many different just uh, I think of like, you know, I think of like a scenario like, you know, a hus- a wife and a, a husband that don't know God, you know. And, and, you know, but as Christians, when we take the Christian worldview in there, you know, obviously, um, you know, the heart of a wife and a husband need to come to, hey, how can we glorify the Lord, mm-hmm. you know? And I know it's tough for a spouse to, to go, hey, you know what? How can we glorify the Lord in this? But but that's what we need to do. Um, you know, we know that when we get married, we're, there's going to be sin. We know there's going to be issues of sinful inclination. If all the pornography was gone in the world, all the Internet, all the magazines— whatever like that. It doesn't mean that lust stops. Mm. You know, you don't want your husband lusting you. Mm. You know, where he's just, he's using you to fulfill some kind of urge that he has in him. You want him to love you and and care for you. So, you know, the answer isn't just getting rid of all the porn. Yeah, you know, the issue is always like, hey, how can we learn to glorify God and honor the Lord in my life? Mm -hmm. And in a marriage, if you guys are able to come together and have talks about it and talk about sex regularly and talk about pornography regularly, regularly, you know, that, you know, and be able to share those things with one another, meaning just open up with one another of things that maybe you've seen in the past or things like that and you know, talk openly about those things. You know, it's amazing. Like, I get blown away that my wife doesn't have the same struggles I do. I always go, wow, that's so neat. But, you know, but everybody's own struggles are always a bummer to them. 
And, and that's the beautiful thing is when you talk, you know, to your spouse and you really have those wonderful talks, you know, and you're able to be open and it's a safe place. Your marriage is a safe place to talk about struggles with sin and you can confess and, and you guys both know that you're working on things and, and there's constructive ways you're working on them by maybe getting help with a counselor or, or supports or stuff like that. Then real progress can be made in a marriage, you know, where pornography it, it, you know, divorce is not the first thing that you go to when you when you hear about, oh, man, my wife's viewing pornography or my husband's viewing pornography. It's not like divorce. That's 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 sexual immorality. That's that's it. You know, kind of thing. Again, um, you know, to do that would be a real um, would be really sad, you know, way to go, because God God has great plans for us. And. You know, we have to go through the tearing down and then the building up of our marriages and and for them to be strong and useful to to be used in other people's lives, helpful for other people. I mean, me and my wife have gone through a lot in our marriage, but we've always, I think, had a wonderful understanding that, hey, it's about God. It's about us growing with God. And it's through those those trials that we're able to help out other people. So, um, you know, you know, don't just think, man, pornography that's it. I'm done. So um, we'll probably stop there on the topic. Um, and uh, if you have any questions um, or thoughts, you know, I know, um, God, we probably offended someone somewhere. <laughs> but And there's a lot of different views on it for sure. But um, we definitely have done our best to kind of touch on this in a short period of time. And um, we really thank you for listening, too. You can always check out our website at runninglight.org for more information, okay? Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.